Let's get it started in here. This episode is sponsored by Frontend Masters. They have a terrific lineup of live courses you can attend either online or in person. They also have a terrific backlog of courses you can watch, including JavaScript, the good parts, build web applications with Node.js, AngularJS in depth, and advanced JavaScript. You can go check them out at frontendmasters.com. This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Every week on Hired, they run an auction where over a thousand tech companies in San Francisco, New York, and L.A., Bid on JavaScript developers, providing them with salary and equity up front. The average JavaScript developer gets an average of 5 to 15 introductory offers and an average salary of $130,000 a year. Users can either accept an offer and go right into interviewing with the company or deny them without any continuing obligations. It's totally free for users, and when you're hired, they give you a $2,000 bonus as a thank you for using them. But if you use the JavaScript Jabber link, you'll get a $4,000 bonus instead. Finally, if you're not looking for a job but know someone who is, you can refer them to Hired and get a $1,337 bonus if they accept the job. Go sign up at Hired.com slash JavaScript Jabber. This episode is sponsored by Widgmo 5, a brand new generation of JavaScript controls. A pretty amazing line of HTML5 and JavaScript products for enterprise application development in that Widgmo 5 leverages ECMAScript 5 and each control ships with AngularJS directives. Check out the faster, lighter, and more mobile Widgmo 5. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 155 of the JavaScript Jabber Show. This week on our panel we have Amy Knight. Hello. AJ O'Neill. Yo, 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 coming at you live from the secret dark underworld hiding place that you don't know about. Dave Smith. Greetings. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We've got a special guest this week. It's for us. I'm not even going to try and say his last name. It's Abu Khadijay, but nice try. Had about the same number of syllables. You want to introduce yourself really quickly? Sure. So I'm Faraz, and I'm hacker, and I build stuff, and I'm currently in New Zealand with Dominic Tarr and Substack, and we're on a sailboat, and we're adventuring. Wait, are you on a sailboat right yes. now? Yes, I actually am using 3G to talk to you. Oh, oh my wow. goodness! This that's, has got to be the greatest thing ever. I was going to say, that's got to <laughs> be a first. I've done a lot of shows, I don't think I've ever talked to anyone on a sailboat. You definitely got me beat. Yeah, I know. I could totally yeah, hear so- AJ. Yo, 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 coming at you from a yacht. <laughs> cool. So we brought John today to talk about Instant.io and WebTorrent. Do you want to kind of give us a quick overview of what those are? Yeah, sure. So maybe I should start with a little bit of background about just kind of how I got to WebTorrent as a project. So I've always been kind of interested in hacking stuff, like trying to figure out how stuff really works versus how it's sort of documented to work. Because when you find differences, you know, in how something is supposed to work and how it actually works, that's often an opportunity for you to surprise people or to take advantage of a system for your own gain or something like that, which is kind of fun. So I used to do lots of uh, shenanigans in college, like different hacks and stuff. So one fun thing I did was I discovered that the Mac terminals that students did their homework on actually allowed remote SSH one time. So I uh, remote SSH'd in and turned up the volume on a student's computer who's sitting a little ways away from me in the library. And then I, like, used the say command on the Mac to talk to them and <laughs> scare the crap out of them. So I was like, hey, stop pressing my keys so hard. <laughs> and, and then they were like, what? And then they, like, looked around and stuff and see, to see who, what was going on. It was, it was great. So ever since, that, like, I got into doing that kind of stuff, I was always trying to kind of surprise people with computers. And so when I graduated, 
I kind of discovered um, WebRTC, which was this emerging technology at the time in browsers that lets you do peer-to-peer connections from one browser to another, um, which is previously not possible. And so I was like, well, what can I build with this? This, this is like a new thing, and there's going to be lots of new apps built with this. You know, what, what would be a cool app to build? And the, the main app that people kept building with WebRTC was video chat, uh, video and voice communication apps. Um, and so, I mean, that's kind of the obvious use case for peer-to-peer because you can improve call quality and basically make the experience a lot better if you can do peer-to-peer because you don't have to relay all the communication through a server and that reduces latency. And so there were a lot of apps being built like that. But I thought it would be cool to use this other part of the spec called the data channel, which lets you send arbitrary data from browser to browser instead of just video and audio. And with that, you can really build any kind of app you can think of because you can create your own protocols. So I started hacking on this thing called PeerCDN, which is basically a shared web cache, kind of, if you can imagine. So the idea was that when you came to a site, it would try to see if anyone else who's currently on the same website as you has some of the resources that you want. So images, videos, files to load the site. And if they do, you would connect to them and get the files from them rather than the original server, saving the site owner bandwidth. That sounds really interesting, just from the standpoint of instead of making, you know, a bunch of requests to the server, you make a bunch, you know, you're making requests to other people to get the resources. Yeah, it's like BitTorrent for websites, basically, to load sites. So site owners would basically add a scripts tag to their page that would load up the PeerCDN library. And then that would prevent all normal resource loading. So if there were like image tags on the page, the script would disable them from loading. And then it would load its own script and it would connect to a tracker server, which would, it would say, hey, are there any peers who have this image that I want? And then the tracker would reply with a list of uh, peers to connect to. And then the browser would connect to them and get the file if possible. And then if those peers were being unresponsive or were really slow for some reason, there was like a timer that would basically say, okay, this is taking too long, I'm just going to fetch the file normally. So the site will always load, but it will try to do it peer-to-peer if it can, and it can do it with a reasonable performance. Interesting. It sounds like probably this was incredibly slow. <laughs> was it actually pretty slow, or did it, did it come out okay fast? Yeah, it was pretty slow. So it's kind of the, the downside of peer-to-peer is you always have like latency up front, usually, when you're doing peer discovery. So it was really only useful for video, because with video, it's a big file, and so the upfront latency doesn't matter as much. Um, and you can do things to kind of trick the user to not even notice that it's actually peer-to-peer. So you can fetch the first, like, 10 seconds of the video from the normal HTTP server and then start fetching the rest of the video file over peer-to-peer. So by the time that first 10 seconds plays, you're already connected to some peers and you're, you're good to go to load the rest over peer-to-peer. Now that is very clever. How did that come out in practice? So video is really hard. So even though video is really the, was really the main, like the best use case for this, we didn't do video first because like it's just a lot of stuff to deal with, like codecs and to like to stream arbitrary data into a video tag. It requires a lot of hacks, and it was just yeah, it was pretty hard. So we started with images, and then to make that perform reasonably well, we would just load the images that were below the fold on the page. So like far down the page, we would load those over peer to peer, and then everything above the fold we would load normally. So the idea being that the user probably won't scroll down the page for at least five seconds. So, you know, it would perform decently. Very nice. Did you do anything to prevent uh, evil nodes from serving up naughty images instead of the actual images? Yeah, so much as I enjoy control, yeah, we didn't want that to happen. 
we would basically did what BitTorrent does, which is if you have some trusted person who can tell you the hash of the content that you're downloading, then you can verify once you actually get the content that it's what you expected it to be by hashing it and then comparing against the known good hash, and they should match. If they don't match, you just discard the data and then fetch it again from someone else, or you just fetch it from the server and say, you know what, this is taking too long, I'm just going to get it from the server. So BitTorrent does that by just embedding the hash of the content in the magnet link that you get when you want to torrent something. And so this kind of had this, had a similar approach, but you don't want to make the people change their way their web server served up their content. What we did was we just ran a service that would sit there and you could trust it and it would go and get content and hash it for you and then return the hash. So the script would talk to the service transparently. So it would be able to get known hashes of any URL on your site and then verify when it got the data from peers that it's correct. Super cool. So did this form the inspiration or the basis for WebTorrent? Yeah. So we tried to do this as a company and like, Basically, we were like, oh, you know, Akamai has a huge CDN business. Maybe we can get a cut of their pie and like out innovate them or something. And so we, we built this out. But it turned out it was pretty hard to get customers just because like people are really willing to pay for improved performance. Like they'll pay you double if you can like make their site 20% faster because they've, they've seen all the research that shows that better performance equals more sales, you know, and CDN isn't that big of a cost for them. Even though, like, as a company, Akamai is huge. For an individual site, CDN isn't, like, usually their main cost. So, anyway, people weren't that excited about saving bandwidth. I was excited because I thought people would build new applications that didn't exist before. You know, every time the internet gets faster, people are like, oh, it's already fast enough, or, oh, CPUs don't need to be any faster. So I was like, okay, well, let's make bandwidth cheaper, and we can build apps that use a lot more of it. But, yeah, in the end, we sold the company to Yahoo and went and worked there for a while. So I worked there for a year, and then I'm in New Zealand. So I quit my job, and I'm ready to do the next thing. So do you want to talk a little bit about the BitTorrent protocol so we can kind of understand what you built? Based on your talk, it might be good to compare it with uh, HTTP like you did, and kind of Mm. compare and contrast is good because I know a lot of the people I work with, they weren't really familiar with the protocol at all. So I think a lot of people probably aren't. That's a good idea. Yeah, I just assume that the people who listen to JavaScript Jabber are like uber nerds, but that's probably not accurate. <laughs> okay, so let's compare BitTorrent to HTTP. So HTTP is kind of, you know, the standard for how we, we load websites today. And uh, it has a client-server model. So the client makes the request to the server, and the server returns a resource if it has the resource. And this is nice because it's simple. But it doesn't scale well when you have a lot of clients all requesting the same resource. Another uh, disadvantage of HTTP is that if the server loses a file or deletes a file, then suddenly all of the clients can't find it anymore. And this is because the file is referred to by its location. So this is why we we call them URLs, you know, Uniform Resource Locators. And so if the location suddenly goes away, then we have broken links. And uh, this isn't good. Um, because the file could exist on another server somewhere, and it would be it would be nice if people could just could just know that this is another place where you could go and get the file. So that's uh, another disadvantage. Also, you have the problem that it's like pretty easy to censor things that are on websites because you know they're just at a certain location, so you could just go and like tell that person to stop serving the file, and then and then everyone gets a broken link. So BitTorrent, on the other hand, it doesn't refer to files by their location, like URLs. Instead, you refer to files by their contents, which seems a little weird at first, because it's like, well, if you're going to refer to a file by its contents, then wouldn't you, you basically already have the contents, so why do you need to go get the file? But what we do is we actually hash the content with a SHA-1 hash, which turns this potentially huge file into a nice, succinct, small little string. 
and we tell people this is the file. And so that's how you can refer to it. So if I wanted to publish a file in HTTP, I would just stick it on a server. But in BitTorrent, what I'll do is I'll hash the file and I'll just give you the hash and I'll say, this is the file. And then what you do to go get it is you just go out to the whole network and you say, hey, does anyone have this file? And then if you can find people who have it, you request it from them. And then as soon as you get the whole file, you hash what you got and make sure that it matches the uh, hash that you were given. So that's a really simplistic explanation. It's actually more complicated, but just to kind of get a rough idea of how it works, I think that's sufficient. So what's cool about that is that you have suddenly there's no server anymore. There's just only clients. Even the person who originally published the file is just a client. There's no special status for that person. And so as long as there's somebody in the world willing to continue to host that file and make it available on their computer, then anyone anywhere else can get it. So there's no bottleneck and there's there's also no single point of failure with regards to scaling because everyone who's downloading the file is also uploading the file. So as soon as I've received a few pieces of the file, I can make those available to anyone else, even if I don't have the rest of the file. So when a file is really popular, everyone who's downloading becomes really useful to the network because they're sharing the bits that they have. And suddenly there's many, many, many uploaders of this one file. So it's, it performs a lot better. And so it's, it's pretty elegant, I think. Do you guys have any questions about that? More specifically, in your talk, you talked a lot about uh, like the DHT, and I thought that would be good to share too. DHT? Like how it goes about finding the person closest mm. to you for the file. Oh, yeah, that would be interesting. Yeah, so, okay, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that. I don't want to go too much into how the DHT actually works because it's like, really hard to understand and, that you need, and I needed like pictures to even be able to do that. But I can at least like, yeah, bring up roughly how you find. We might want to start with its distributed hash table. Oh, so we should probably know what DHT means. <laughs> right, right, yes, right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, we should also get to like what WebTorrent is before people get lost on all the details we're going into. Because we still haven't talked about what WebTorrent actually is. You mentioned the way that BitTorrent identifies files, or rather, they don't have names, they have hashes, right? So you said that they use a SHA hash to say, I want the file that has this SHA hash. Does that mean that BitTorrent is actually a type of content addressable file system? Is that a fair thing to say? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about the file system part, but yeah, certainly content addressable, because you, ref, you refer to the, the content that you want by its hash. That's correct. Okay, so is WebTorrent actually using WebRTC to do this? Or is it using yes. some other means? So WebTorrent is just uh, BitTorrent over WebRTC. The idea being, let's make BitTorrent work in the browser. Now, does it only connect to other WebTorrent systems, or can it connect to other BitTorrent servers as well? Yeah, that's a great question. So right now, WebTorrent can only talk to other WebTorrent clients, and that's because of just how WebRTC works. So WebRTC is a completely different protocol from TCP and UDP, um, which are you know the two other main protocols that run the internet. So because of security restrictions, those aren't allowed in the browser, but WebRTC is. But it's so different than those other protocols that there's really no way to connect from the browser to a BitTorrent client running on someone's desktop. So if we ever want to get that to work, the desktop clients will need to add WebRTC as a protocol that they support. So WebRTC has this uh, weird connection process that's pretty different than TCP and UDP. Because, um, so TCP and UDP, um, the way that you connect to somebody is you just know their IP address and their port, and then you can just try to connect to that port. So basically, you, if you know someone's address, you can send them mail, right? That's how TCP and UDP work. But WebRTC, on the other hand, requires this weird kind of offer-answer negotiation. So you have to like kind of be introduced to the other peer by a middleman, and then you can establish a direct connection with them 
So they did this for like security reasons. And so roughly the way it works is if I want to talk to you, I'll make an offer, which is just a blob of text that has some details about my IP and, and like a shared secret that we're going to use to encrypt our communication and a few other things. And then I'll send that to you usually through like a WebSocket server or something. But in theory, I could get it to you any way possible. I could text it to you. I could give it to a carrier pigeon or something. And then you get it. And then your browser generates an answer from that offer. And then you send the answer back to me. And then once we've done that, then we can try to connect directly. So it's a bit more elaborate. But once we're connected, then it's just like any other kind of connection. And we can do whatever protocol we want over it. And how do you traverse NAT gateways? So WebRTC actually, um, the browser actually handles that for you. So um, it, it tries to do uh, this thing called STUN. I think it's like Session Traversal Utilities something over NATS, I think. Yeah. And yeah, so it has like this standard set of hacks that it tries to use to get through NATS. And worst case, if that fails, you can specify a, a turn server, which is a relay server that will relay all of your traffic. So if you can't directly connect to them, you can, but you can both connect to this server out there on the internet, then that server can just relay your messages. And at that point, it's basically acting like a WebSocket server or something. So it's not ideal. It's not peer-to-peer, and it's probably pretty expensive to run one of those. But that's what you can do if you really, really must guarantee 100% reliability on your service that you're building. So you'll see this used on pretty much all of the video and voice apps that are built on top of uh, WebRTC. So one thing that I'm kind of wondering about is how do the original files get up there in the first place? Do you just add them to your WebTorrent server and then other people can get them that way or no so so webtorrent is just a is just a script it's just a you know it's just a client that is running in a web page so if we want to get a file into the webtorrent network to share it then what we do is um, we just there's this this api that the script exposes and it has like a, a download function and a seed function so you just pass the file into seed and then the client will send a message up to a tracker server which just keeps track of all of the peers that are interested in certain files, but it refers to those files by their hashes. So the server doesn't really know what it's doing. It just kind of just keeps like a key value mapping from hash to array of, of peers. And then when other people want that file, they just talk to the tracker and ask it for any peers that have that file. Then they try to directly connect. So it's just like, that's actually exactly how BitTorrent works. There's a tracker servers, which do this kind of coordination of peers. And then there's this other thing called the distributed hash table or the DHT, which allows you to get rid of the tracker and just have the peers out in the world be the tracker. And so they each take on a bit of responsibility for the torrents that they're going to track. But that's, we're getting really complicated into complicated territory now. <laughs> But all this is to say that if you have a tracker, like a generic BitTorrent tracker, it won't work with WebTorrent. You have to have a WebTorrent-specific tracker, right? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, there are a few places where I had to change the BitTorrent protocol, but I try to keep the number of those changes as minimal as possible, just because, like, BitTorrent is well understood. There's, like, you know, it's it's one of the most widely deployed peer-to-peer protocols out there. Um, At peak hours, like, there's, like, 20 million nodes online. Um, it's just it's just huge. It's and, and it works and it's well tested. So I didn't want to like reinvent the wheel and try to like be all innovative and rename things for for its own sake. So it's basically just BitTorrent with a few changes to make it work over WebRTC. So and those changes do make it incompatible, unfortunately. But those are just required because we have to like like the whole point of WebTorrent is to make it work in the browser without an install, without a plugin, without a Chrome extension. It's just JavaScript, so it can run on any page. So yeah, so that's basically 
that's what we had to do. But because because it's following the proto the BitTorrent protocol as much as possible, it should be pretty easy for desktop clients to add support for WebTorrent. And the BitTorrent community has a long tradition of enhancing the protocol over time, and they do it with this process called a BEP or a BitTorrent extension proposal. And you just kind of post up a spec and say, hey, I think we should we should do this, and then if people like it, they implement it. So I have faith that this will get implemented by a few of the clients out there. And I have a backup plan for what to do if no one wants to implement it also. Ooh, what's that? Does it involve escaping on a sailboat? <laughs> <laughs> Sailboat.js. No, involves, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to escape on any sailboats or be running from the law or anything like that. But uh, what I, I want to do is I want the node client already. <laughs> yeah, there, there is a node client. Yes, well, exactly. That's... You're going to bridge the gap with the node client at some point. The readme still says you haven't done it yet, right? Yeah, it's like on my laptop. I'm working on it right now, so it's almost done. It's very close. So basically, the idea is, so the, the WebTorrent has a node client version, and that node client can talk to all types of peers. It can talk to normal BitTorrent ones, and it can talk to the web ones, because it includes WebRTC in it. So if you're using that, and you're downloading or you're seeding some content, you're doing it to both networks. It means you're helping the web peers. And so the plan is basically to take that node client and bundle it up into a nice, pretty desktop app using Node WebKit or something like that, and then to offer that up to people to use as their BitTorrent client. So if people adopt that, if a small percentage of people adopt that, then I think that the two networks will effectively be bridged and that they'll, those, those nodes will act as kind of like a bridge between the web and the, the old way. So BitTorrent being the controversial topic that it is, uh, I'm sure the answer to this question is yes, but is anyone opposing you to make BitTorrent so easily accessible in the browser? Uh, not really. I haven't really been opposed <laughs> or anything. The way I think about what I'm doing is, I mean, I'm just building, I'm just making a protocol and I'm just implementing a, you know, like a browser for that protocol, basically. So, I mean, I don't know, maybe if it gets really popular, some people won't be happy with me, but I mean, I'm just, I'm just making a protocol. So, you know, it's, it's as if like, you know, somebody got really mad at, you know, if someone's like, oh, this website, I don't like the contents of this website. Let's get really mad at the guy who made HTTP or the committee that made HTTP. Like, it doesn't really make sense. So that's something just like a little rant. I just don't understand. It seems like BitTorrent is the solution to so many problems and leaders in the industry just want to oppose it instead of like embracing and be like, wow, this is a new way forward. This is a new way to reach new markets. This is a new way to uh, use products and create products and distribute products. They're like, and it's cool. So we hate it. And we're just going to uh, hmm. get mad because, you know, popcorn time, right? <laughs> well, most of the time when I hear people object to BitTorrent, what they're really objecting to is the way that people use it to share copyrighted information. So when they object to it, they're basically objecting to people putting movies and TV shows that are copyrighted on there. And they're, you know, the people doing that are effectively, you know, breaking the law by, you know, sharing copyrighted material without a license to do so. So what happens then is they paint the protocol with the brush of the copyright infringement, where in reality, BitTorrent is just the means by which people are doing it and not actually, you know, it's not the problem in and of itself. It's just a convenient way for people to get around the copyright or, you know, to get around the copy protection that's on the media. But yeah, I agree with you. Overall, I think it's a, a really elegant way to solve problems of getting files around, you know, and I could see applications in doing like online backup or, you know, sharing your, you know, effectively doing what Dropbox does, right? So you, you allow certain people to 
access the distributed hash tables that contain the hashes of your files and things like that. But yeah, overall, I see why they attack it, but I think it's mostly out of ignorance. They just don't understand or they don't care that, in fact, the protocol is useful. You know, in terms of of usefulness and then like even what they're attacking, it's kind of like, you know, when the New York Times had to transition over to the Internet. Well, they hated it because it disrupts their business model. But, hey, you got to move forward and you got to learn to make money with a new business model. Right. Like, I think it was Isaac that posted on Twitter a couple weeks ago a picture of a movie that he had purchased downloading in iTunes. And it said, like, you know, one hour remaining or something like that. And so then he opens it up in BitTorrent. And it says, like, five minutes remaining. And so it's like people use BitTorrent not necessarily for movies. They use it not necessarily because they're opposed to purchasing, but because the purchasing process is terrible. Yeah, I've actually heard that complaint from people while while I've been here in New Zealand because New Zealand kind of gets neglected by the, um, you know, movie and music companies. And, like, I think they're like Australia finally is getting Netflix, but New Zealand still doesn't have it. And so they're forced to use VPNs to pretend that they're from the U.S. But then Netflix is now blocking oh VPNs. Oh, so basically they, they don't have Netflix here and they, they would love to pay for it. But the way that, you know, the licensing deals work, they're like region restricted and stuff. So I've heard that complaint a lot just from uh, talking to people. But I don't like to focus on that use of BitTorrent because I don't really condone software piracy and I don't, don't or, you know, and movie, movie and music piracy and I don't support it. But the thing is that like the protocol is just beautiful. You can transfer files so efficiently. And I'm, I mean, I think there's a lot of, of other interesting use cases for it. There's actually already a lot of people using BitTorrent today to do kind of interesting things. So for a while, Spotify was using it to transfer music between subscribers of the Spotify service. So I think they, they actually published a paper saying they saved 82% on their bandwidth costs by using effectively BitTorrent inside of Spotify. And there's and also... I bet a lot of people don't know that. I was going to say the Raspberry Pi Foundation, they, all of their downloads and like most Linux distributions, their downloads are in BitTorrent because, you know, it's free software. The server cost is pretty high to be downloading gigabytes of stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, people also, get it faster too. I mean, it's a better experience all around. Yeah. And also Facebook and Twitter are using BitTorrent in their server deployments because, um, it turns out if you're trying to, um, if you, if you, if you send your code over to a build server and then the server you know, builds it and you get this big compiled binary that you're going to run on your server because that's how Facebook does their apps now. They compile their PHP into um, like a Linux binary that they can just execute. Um, and then you want to get that to out, to out to all of your servers. If that one server has to send it to multiple machines, then it gets bogged down. But if you turn all those servers into a BitTorrent swarm, then um, they get the, the content way faster and then they can they can basically like updates to running servers goes way faster. So Twitter and Facebook are both using this. Also, Blizzard and the company. So Blizzard, you know, Blizzard makes World of Warcraft and StarCraft II and, and a bunch of other games. And the company that does EVE Online, both of those guys are actually using BitTorrent for game updates. So when the new new update comes out, their server normally just gets hammered and no one can get the update and play. But um, by using BitTorrent, it's really easy. So where do you... That's what I'm talking about. That's the advancement that I like to see is when people are using, you know, it's commercial products. It's legal, but they're still distributing it using the good technology instead of trying to ban it. Exactly. So what I'm curious about is where do you see WebTorrent going? You know, so, I mean, the file sharing is all pretty convenient, but, you know, doing it through the browser is kind of, you know, less so, especially, you know, getting it onto my 
I want to get it onto I mean, my hard drive, this, that, and the other, as opposed to loading it in as part of the page. I mean, obviously, Facebook's going to change their deploy to use Chrome with WebTorrent to deploy other code, right? <laughs> I don't think so. I think the end game for WebTorrent is someone should use it to build a peer-to-peer YouTube. So the idea being that when you want to send a video to somebody, you can just send them a link to a page, and then it'll just play in the page like YouTube, but using WebTorrent under the hood. Yeah, that would be cool. And um, another use case for WebTorrent that's actually already um, that already works today is Instant.io. So Instant.io is just kind of like a basic uh, WebTorrent client. The UI on it isn't really good, at least right now. But um, the idea is you can send files to your friends. And you know, right now Dropbox is used for this, but um, I, did, I didn't like it for a few reasons because you know it, you have to like upload the file fully to their servers before the other person on the other end can start to download it. And sometimes their servers are pretty slow. And you're just sitting like right next to your friend in the same room. So it should, in theory, be able to just go over the local network and not go all the way out to Dropbox and back to your friend. So with WebRTC, you know, it tries to find the optimal route to the other peer. So if you're on the same network, it will directly connect over the, the local network and you'll have super fast speeds. So I built Instant.io. And with that, you can just drop some files onto your browser and then it will create a torrent in the page, give you the hash of it or a link if you want. And you send that to your friend. They open the link up then um, they try to, to find peers who have that content. Turns out it's just you, since you just created it. It connects to you, and then just starts fetching all the content over WebTorrent, and it loads it right up in their browser. And if it's streamable content, like a video or audio, it'll just start to play it right away. So I can send like a 10-minute video to you, and you can start to watch it immediately, no waiting for it to fully upload anywhere. You play it back as you get it. What about and live? Seeking works too. So if you seek to the middle of the video, then WebTorrent will reprioritize the pieces that you're interested in and it will start to ask for those. So even seeking around in the video will just work. It's pretty magical the first time you see it. So what about live broadcasts? Have you given any thought to that with WebTorrent? Yeah, everyone always asks about that. But um, I, so I think you could build something on top of like WebTorrent that does live stuff. But, but by default, like the way BitTorrent uh, kind of works is, is that you have to know the hash of the content that you're trying to get in advance so that you can verify that when you get the content that it's actually correct. So basically torrents are immutable. You can't kind of like, like a live broadcast, the content is constantly like coming out, right? It's, it's, it's not done yet. And so you could maybe build something on top of uh, WebTorrent or BitTorrent that would do live stuff, but by default, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't do that. So, I mean, like, what you might be able to do is just turn every 10 seconds of video into its own torrent and then post the hash onto a server somewhere. And then all the people who are watching the live stream could go and get those hashes, right? And so they'd be like 10 or 20 seconds behind, but it would work. So something like that could certainly work, but it's not in scope for, for WebTorrent. Right, so you basically chunk it up and then you have a library that, you know, grabs the next chunk when you're done with the chunk you're on. Right, yeah. It's always important to know what, the hash of the content is so that you know what to expect. And you can just, you know, you, you know when, when you have a bad peer who's trying to send you some garbage data or something. So you, yeah. you reject it. So Dave was just posting if I had other questions since I had watched the talk. Um, and since it's kind of hard to talk uh, without the diagrams, I don't know if this is good to touch on, but the main takeaway I really got from it was how it makes everything decentralized. So I'd be curious, in your talk you had mentioned... You have to have a tracker to start with, but you said that some people were looking at options to not use that, and I'm just curious like, what those options are that they were looking 
into. You said so that you didn't see like any good solutions out there yet, but I was kind of curious what those solutions were or what you think would be possible in the future. Yeah, so I think what you're referring to is both a little bit about progression of BitTorrent over time. Um, yes. You know, it's evolved quite a bit since since it first came out. So at first, BitTorrent was basically like all about making file delivery decentralized. So, you know, going from a single server model to a model where everyone is the server, everyone everyone is just, you know, an equal client in the network. But to actually find peers to talk to, to find who has the file, that was still centralized. So at first that was fine because everyone's just like, wow, it's so cool. We can get files from all these people. The file distribution is the most expensive of the transferring anyway. So who cares if like to get peers, you need to actually talk to a to a server, a central mm-hmm. server. But then the community, probably just because of like legal pressure and stuff, they decided to like find ways to not have to run tracker servers. Yes, exactly. So they, they came up with this thing called the distributed hash table. And then effectively it turns every client into a miniature tracker. So everyone just decides to provide that service to the network for a certain portion of all torrents. And so the way that you do, the way that a client determines which torrents it's going to be responsible for tracking is by um, just looking at the the hashes of those torrents, and then it compares them to its own identifier that it uses for itself, and then just has it's just like how close does that mean? So every every client has its own an, an ID, and it's in the same ID space as the hashes of the content, and so it can, you can just basically compare and be like, oh, this is kind of close to my ID. Okay, I guess I'll track that for you. Or, oh, that's really far away. No, that's not my job. Go ask someone else to track that for you. And then there's this this elaborate kind of structure you can build on top of this that lets you find who is tracking the torrent that you're interested in. But it's it's kind of hard to describe. So if you're interested, I'd just suggest watching the talk at JSConf Asia, where I go into how that works and I show pictures and stuff. But it's it's really cool, actually. It's one of the coolest ideas in computer science, I think. To think that you can distribute key value store across like all of these machines and then be able to find like who's storing the, the values for the key that you're interested in and how to find them and how to do that efficiently without just like asking everybody. It's really cool, but it's, it's kind of hard to describe without pictures, I think. Awesome. Oh, there... oh there's one other thing. There's one other thing we should talk about. Okay. Of. One more thing. <laughs> yeah. Now it runs on the Apple watch. <laughs> <laughs> mm, I was yeah. thinking that back when he said, uh, it's magic. <laughs> Yeah, have you seen those those compilation videos of like all the times that Steve Jobs used to use superlatives when talking about the latest <laughs> Apple product? Uh, no, it's I like haven't. Super, super great, amazing, magical, magical, <laughs> incredible, intuitive. <laughs> Sailboats. Someone just like sliced out all those bits and put them together. Intuitive is now a superlative. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's not. I don't know. <laughs> So what was your one more thing moment besides the Apple Watch announcement? Oh, so one of the things that I think is really cool with WebTorrent is since it uses WebRTC, WebRTC has no notion of same origin policy. So any uh, WebRTC code running on, on one domain can talk to any um, on another domain. And the reason why this is secure is because you have to do that offer-answer exchange, which means that both pages, you know, kind of both sites are clearly like opting into this communication 
because there's they're both talking to some service and that service is like passing those offers and answers back and forth and introducing those those browsers to each other so there's no same origin policy which means like you know implication for like video and voice chat is that like i could have a widget on my website that and i could talk to users on a different domain who are using a different service as long as our two services agree to pass these offers and answers back and forth which i think is super cool because it reminds me of like chat federation kind of or like like remember how like in the 90s and stuff how you could use like or maybe maybe it was the early 2000s you could use a single im client and it would connect to all the different networks or oh, yeah trillium like yeah um and so and like and so you and their and their their protocols were open so you could you could write your own like aol instant messenger client or whatever um and so rubber to is kind of like that so if someone's running a web torrent on one site and someone is like you know downloading a picture of a web torrent and another person on another domain wants to get that same picture well they can connect to that user on the other domain and get it from them which i just think is insanely cool have you seen firefox hello yeah that's that built-in uh, video chat thing in firefox right yeah it's it's basically skype except they don't have a text a text chat window yet it's just a video chat but it's over webrtc right yeah and you can share a link with anyone. Like, if one person has Firefox, then anybody in any browser can connect to that person. But Firefox, I guess, has more APIs implemented, so they can, like, host the session or something. I don't know if you can visit it, or you can host from other browsers yet. Yeah, so Firefox, uh, yeah, they're just basically, they, they, Firefox Hello is just a, it's basically the hello world of WebRTC apps. It's just a video chat app. <laughs> but it's blowing people's minds because it's just built into Firefox and, and it's like free and easy to use. But oh yeah, the other thing to know is it only works in certain browsers. So WebRTC only is only available right now in Firefox and Chrome and Opera. And Microsoft announced that they want to support it, but they haven't said when they're going to release a browser that supports it. But they're working on the spec. They're on the committee that's working on the spec. So I'm optimistic that IE will get it. The only only browser vendor who hasn't said anything yet about WebRTC is Apple. <laughs> but they have they have pretty low market share on the, the desktop anyway. So it doesn't really matter, I think. And if you want to do a mobile app on like iOS that does WebRTC, then you can um, well you can just you can just compile WebRTC into your native app, and that's sort of a good hack for now until the browser gets support for it. So you can just release an app. Does Chrome on Android support WebRTC? Yes, it does. And it's it's really cool. You so I yeah, take so you, it you've had WebTorrent working on it. Uh yeah. You can and so like for, like your Firefox hello example, you could you could start a video chat on your Firefox on your desktop or something and then send a link to some dude running um Android on and Chrome on Android and then you could video chat with them. Really really cool. Nice. All right. Let's do us some picks. AJ, I always pick you first, so I'm going to make Dave go first. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have one pick for you, and uh, today's pick will be a little bit unorthodox. I am going to pick a day of the year. That date is January 12th, 2016. Does anybody know why this date is significant? It's not Pi Day. <laughs> <laughs> No, this date is the date that Microsoft has announced that they will no longer support any browser on any operating system that is not the most recent, up-to-date available browser for that operating system. Most importantly, this is the date, in my opinion, that you can actually say, we will no longer support IE8 or IE9. And uh, anyway, I think we should start planning parties now. And then <laughs> when the date gets closer and Microsoft pushes it back, we'll have to push our parties back. But at least we can start planning it. Yeah, I'd say send me an invite, please. 
You can add me on any of the social networks and I will accept. I'll send you a Firefox hello link. There you go. <laughs> that, that would be amazing. By right. that time, it's interesting that Microsoft that date. Broadcast. I think that date is like the day that the new president gets inaugurated in the U.S., isn't it? Huh. It's pretty close to it. Interesting. They're trying to steal some news, some headlines. <laughs> or maybe they're trying to slide under the radar. No, we're not, ha- we're not having an election this year, are we? It's next uh, year. Oh, yeah, that's, the, that's 2017. You're getting ahead of yourself. <laughs> that's what happens when oh, you're in New oh, Zealand you're right. on, a, on a sailboat in the middle of the ocean. Right, yeah. It's January 2017, yep. <laughs> Pretty sure I've heard seagulls like twice on the call. <laughs> <laughs> you're right. So, so what you're really saying is that when they actually implement that, then yeah, it, it'd be about the same time. So, cool. Amy, do you have some picks for us? I do. The first one is a link to a GitHub page with a bunch of JavaScript videos. So you can do a pull request and add to there or just watch the ones that are there. And the second one is I've been using the Headspace app for uh, mindfulness meditation. I really like it. So that is my second pick. And that's it. Awesome. AJ, you got a pick for us? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to pick popcorn time, <laughs> ironically. And I won't tell you why, and if you want to find out, you can just figure it out. I'll uh, keep myself legally on what's... I'm into my cave anyway. It doesn't matter. Let's see. Other than that, I have not been good on picks like the past month. I've got to think of something good, but I don't have anything good still. You know what I pick? I pick antisocialness because you can just be in your cave and code and have no idea what's going on and just listen to your headphones and code. I'll also pick sleep, because I haven't gotten any in a while, and I'd really like to get reacquainted, because I know it's awesome. Nice. All right. I'm going to pick a book. It's called Steelheart by Brandon Sanderson. Steelheart is... I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm not sure why I hadn't run across this particular series. I'm really enjoying it, so I'm going to pick that. And then... Oh, I'm going to pick Teespring, teespring.com, which is where we've put up the t-shirt campaign. So if you want JavaScript Jabber shirts, that is the place to go. And uh, it'll be up for the next couple of weeks. Uh, so make sure you get in there before the campaign ends, because otherwise you won't be able to get them until we do another campaign. Hey, Chuck, did we settle on the giant picture of your face on the front of the shirt? I think we were going to put that on the back. <laughs> I thought that was the back of your head on the back of the shirt and the front of your face on the front of the I shirt. I should totally yeah. make some of those. <laughs> the Chuck shirt. Yeah. All right. Well, those are all the picks I've got. Frost, do you have a pick for us? Some picks for us? <laughs> yeah. So while I was here in uh, New Zealand, I went over to Christchurch for NodeConf Christchurch, and I met some cool people there. And I want to plug a couple of their projects. So I met this guy, Matt McKegg, who built this really cool music app using the Web Audio API that DJ is using. And um, you can make really cool music. And it's like he's been working on it for two years, and it's, it's a work of art. Like, the music he was making with it was just, I was like, wow, this is the first web audio thing I've heard that sounds really good. It sounds like music. It doesn't just sound like a demo app. Um, and I don't think anyone really knows about his app yet because he hasn't marketed it at all. But it's called Loop Drop. Uh, and his, his name is Matt McKegs. So check it out if you're interested in, in music at all, in music creation. And the other um, project is by Ben Nolan. He created this thing called Scene VR, which is... Uh, it's actually, I haven't, I haven't really, um, like read the, the GitHub page for it yet, but he showed it to me on his phone. And it's like the metaverse. It's like, it's like Second Life kind of, but, uh, all in the browser. 
in WebGL and uh, you just like go to a URL and you're just dropped into this this universe that he's built. And it's really easy to specify new like objects that you want to create in the world using something kind of like HTML. And it's just really exciting because I think there's going to be cool use case for like hanging out with people in this world and talking to people. And he said one way that he uses it that's kind of cool is he has a virtual office in SceneVR. And um, he has two computers. So whenever he has one that's in scene VR at all times. And so whenever he's working, doing real work on his other computer, he just parks himself at his desk in the virtual world. And so when people come over to talk to him, they know that they're interrupting him from work. So then if it's important, he'll just go over to the other computer and then go talk to them or do whatever he needs to do in the world and then come back to his desk and sit there when he needs to do work. Uh, and it's also cool because you can see how uh, how busy somebody is, how many people are vying for their time by seeing how many are literally like lined up there to talk to them. Whereas, you know, with an email, you just send somebody an email and you don't really know that. Uh, I just thought it was kind of cool. So it's Scene VR, and his name is Ben Nolan. That and of course, really cool. I should, of course, I should also plug uh, WebTorrent. So if you want to learn more about that, just visit webtorrent.io. Oh, hey, I totally forgot. There was two things that I wanted to pick that I actually put in the notes already. If I can butt in for like two seconds. NAT UPnP and NAT PMP node modules so that if you want to do peer-to-peer stuff from home, you can. That was all. Oh, I should also plug something else <laughs> while we're all piling on here. I wrote a module called Simple Peer, simple-peer. You can get it on NPM. And it makes working with WebRTC really easy because it's normally pretty complicated. There's a lot of API calls and you have to do them all in the right order. And it's it's all necessary complexity, but it's just kind of too much, I think, for a lot of people that are just approaching it for the first time. So Simple Peer is kind of like a jQuery for WebRTC. It makes it really simple to use. So just check that out. Like, it just makes the API really, really easy to get started with and um, makes it more approachable and, like, less, less intimidating. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for coming. It was really interesting to talk through, and it's definitely on my list of JavaScript projects to just kind of go browse through. So we'll go ahead and wrap up, go get you some T-shirts, and uh, we'll catch you all next week. This episode is sponsored by Mad Glory. You've been building software for a long time, and sometimes it gets a little overwhelming. Work piles up, hiring sucks, and it's hard to get projects out the door. Check out Mad Glory. They're a small shop with experience shipping big products. They're smart, dedicated, will augment your team, and work as hard as you do. Find them online at madglory.com or on Twitter at madglory. Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more. Do you wish you could be part of the discussion on JavaScript Jabber? Do you have a burning question for one of our guests? Now you can join the action at our membership forum. You can sign up at javascriptjabber.com slash jabber, and there you can join discussions with the regular panelists and our guests. 